Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Well, last week we were talking about the subject we've been talking about for several weeks, and and I just put it all under the title of Christian Basics. And, uh, and I took my uh, basic idea for this from the first chapter of Luke's gospel. And uh, if you want to turn over there, you can look in Luke chapter 1. In the opening to Luke's gospel, uh, the physician wrote this. He said, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, now, the older king, I'm reading from the New King James, the older King James, and, and also a marginal note in my Bible where it says, have been fulfilled among us. The older King James, and this note says, are most surely believed among us. So let's read it again that way. Insomuch as many have taken in hand to set in order. I like that. To set in order. In other words, systematically. To set in order a narrative of those things which are most surely believed among us. Even just as as, uh, those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account. There's that word order again. An orderly account, most, most excellent Theophilus. Theophilus was evidently some uh, noble person of some kind. And here's, and, and notice verse number four, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. You know, a lot of people are instructed, but they're not always instructed right. <laughs> Amen. And, uh, and I don't know of any place where that's more true than it, than it is uh, in the Bible in matters relating to church and so forth. But he said, I want you to know for certain what's true. Amen. Let the word of God be the final authority. Not our tradition. Now, I loved my grandma, but she didn't know everything. I loved my granddaddy, but he didn't know everything. Some people say, well, this is the way my granddaddy believed it, and this is the way my daddy believed it, and this is the way I believe it. Well, you're on, you're on shaky ground because your daddy and your granddaddy weren't perfect. And they might have not understood some things. They might have been instructed uh, right about some things and wrongly about other things. Amen. And so we ought to be able to put aside when we come into the, to the church building, when we come into the assembly of the saints, we're going to get into the word of God. We ought to put aside all preconceived ideas and let the word speak for itself. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Father, we come to you today. As we get into your word, Lord, we know that the entrance of your word gives light. It gives understanding even to the simple. And so, Father, there's not anyone who cannot receive from the word of God as enlightened by the Spirit. We, we depend upon the Holy Spirit to take this word and open our hearts to it. Just like Jesus opened their understanding there in the final days when they were first born again, Uh, after he had been raised from the dead, it said he opened their understanding that they might 
receive and know and understand the scriptures. And so we trust, we trust the Holy Spirit to open our understanding. But in order to do that, Father, we know that we have to be open. We have to have open hearts and open minds, and we must be willing to receive from the Spirit of God in line with the Word. The Word is the final authority. And so we thank you today, Lord, that your Word will go forth in power and anointing and that our lives will be changed and we will be enlightened, Father. Glory to God and come and go away, Father, stronger because we were here, edified and built up in the Word of God. We thank you for that. And Father, while we're praying, Lord, we are instructed when we come together, first of all, that prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, especially for those in authority, kings and so forth. That would be our, our leaders in government. That we might lead quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness and dignity. Not chaos, but dignity. Not upheaval, but dignity. Quietness. For this is good and well-pleasing to you, you said. And so, Father, we lift up our, our president, uh, President Biden. We lift up his entire administration and the entire executive branch in Washington, D.C. We lift up the legislature, Father, the House and the Senate in, in, in Washington, and the Supreme Court, and then also the, the district federal courts that are uh, around the country. Father, we lift up our government, our federal government, and all those who serve. Father, that your hand would be upon them. Lead, guide, and direct their every decision. Glory to God. Hold them to a high standard, Father, and move upon them. Counsel their hearts, Father, to do what's right in your eyes. Glory to God. And it's for the sake of the church. Glory to God. And so we thank you for that. Those, Father, in government who don't know you, and we know there are many who seem to be opposed to godliness and the word of God and the principles of, of, of the faith of the Bible. We ask you, Lord, to reveal yourself to them. Reveal yourself to them that ministers would be sent to bring the word of God to them, Father, that their hearts would be opened and they would come into a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, for our state government as well. All of the things we've prayed, Father, we pray for our state government. Glory to God, our Governor DeSantis, his administration, our state legislature, our state Supreme Court. Father, we pray for our local government, our commissioners and councilmen, mayors and so forth. Uh, all of those who are in authority, our school board uh, personnel. Father, we pray for them. Father, that your hand would be upon them and upon their deliberations and that the right things would, do, would be done. Father, we pray for the right outcome in all of these matters for the sake of the church, for the sake of the word of God and the spreading of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we give thanks for them, Father. For all of those who are in authority, we praise you and thank you, Father. Amen. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Well, God is good, isn't he? Amen. So in, in uh, writing uh, uh, my notes in an orderly fashion, in other words, presenting a narrative to you, like Luke said, uh, in order of the things that are most surely believed among us. We started out with the new birth because that's fundamental and uh, talked about the importance of the new birth. Jesus said, you must be born again. Well, there's not, it's, it's hard to misunderstand that. 
Amen. And, uh, and so we talked about the new birth, and we also talked about the fact that it's not only a new birth, it's a new creation and the power that uh, that is in our lives. So we talked about that. And then uh, uh, a couple of Sundays ago, we started talking about the Holy Spirit. And uh, last uh, Sunday, and I'm going to quickly, uh, just real quickly go over the things we uh, covered last week and then uh, quickly move on. Uh, we, we talked about the fact that uh, some people say, well, uh, speaking with other tongues, when speaking with tongues gets into a church, it brings confusion. I've heard that all of my life from people. I've heard people say, yeah, you know, I knew about this church and tongues was introduced to the church. Somebody started speaking a tongue, several people, and it just tore the church up. And so that brings confusion. Well, uh, it's, it's not anything of God that brings confusion because God's not the author of confusion. So but they say, well, God couldn't be in it because it brought confusion. Well, that's not necessarily true. It wasn't the tongues that brought the confusion. It was the resistance to truth. Truth received brings peace. Truth rejected brings chaos. I know a pastor, uh, Angela and I, we know a pastor in Canada. Well, he's actually retired now, but uh, pastored for many years. And uh, he, at one time, when what I'm about to tell you took place, he was the pastor of the largest Methodist church in all of Canada from coast to coast. Now, I don't, their churches might not be as, as large as ours. I don't know. But it's still, that's a prestigious church. The largest Methodist church in Canada. And, uh, you know, he was a very distinguished man. He had a Ph.D. in theology and, and was very eloquent. And, uh, you know, he had moved. I don't know how old he was when this happened because I met him, you know, later in life. In his, probably in his 60s when I met him. But... Uh, uh, he he was he he had this church and and he was in the ministry there was only one big problem he had never been born again here he was the pastor of this church now he had obviously come up in the ranks you don't just start out in the biggest church in in methodist church in canada he'd come up through the ranks he'd been to you know college and seminary and and uh, worked his way up you know in, in assignments and here he is, the pastor of this largest Methodist church in Canada, and he's not saved. And he, 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 his story was that he, he was just hungry. Things, you know, he was just dis, dissatisfied in ministry. Well, I guess so. Could you imagine trying to pastor and not even be saved? And, uh, you know, he, he believed in Jesus. Don't misunderstand me. He believed the facts See, a lot of people are in that situation today. They believe that Jesus lived, and they even believe Jesus was the Son of God. But, but you have to act on what you believe. You, act, you have to actually submit to him and trust him. We sometimes call it asking him to come into your heart. However you want to say it, there has to be an action. I think it was John Wesley uh, said that the devil had given the church a good counterfeit for faith. I think it was Wesley that said this. And he said, it's so much like faith. It looks like faith and it sounds like faith, but it's not faith. And he called it mental assent. And that's really what was going on in the colonies in the United States before uh, the First Great Awakening and before the, the, uh, the American Revolution. In the colonies, you know, the, the Puritans came over from Europe and they were very zealous and very uh, devout people and loved God and were saved, you know. But 
Uh, there's a, I'm going, we might not get finished here today at all. Sometimes, sometimes these side journeys are important. There's something about legalism. You have to be real careful about legalism. Legal, I've noticed that, that churches or movements, denominations, they might have truth all right, but if they are very legalistic in their practices, the next generation doesn't seem to catch what they had. Because somehow young people can see through uh, uh, legalism and form and so forth. And the Puritans, for some reason, weren't able, that could be one reason, but they weren't able, for whatever reason, to pass the torch to the next generation. And so the next generation had come up in, in the Americas, you know, in the colonies, I should say, and uh, they were members of the church but they had never been saved. They acknowledged the facts, but they weren't living godly lives and weren't interested really in knowing God. And so they even had a, a, a watered-down covenant that you could uh, sign off on or agree to and put your name on that allowed you to be a member in the church just if you believed certain things, but you didn't even have to profess to be saved. And that was the condition that uh, existed and, and, uh, and, and was the thing that caused many ministers in, in New England and so forth to begin to seek God and uh, resulted, resulted in the great uh, first great uh, American uh, uh, revival, uh, awakening. So anyway, this pastor, he, uh, you know, he was hungry. He, he, you know, he wasn't satisfied. He began to study the Bible and he realized that even though he had been to seminary and he'd learned all about Christ, he had actually never trusted Jesus personally as his Lord and Savior. There had never been that transaction of faith. And so he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, received him into his heart, was born again. Well, you can imagine what a change. I mean, he came into the church the next week and he is a new man. I mean, he has found Christ. He's so excited about it. Now, you would you think that the church would be Wow, our pastor has found Christ. Maybe we need to find Christ. He didn't know Jesus. He wasn't saved. Maybe we're not saved. Let's find out, let's find out what he did. And they'd have been all excited about it. You, if you think that might have happened, that didn't happen. They were very upset with him. And the powers that be, the establishment in the church and the traditionalists, I mean, they were having no part of this. It tore the church up. He was thrown out. In fact, he was booted from the entire denomination because of it. Because he found Jesus. It wasn't the baptism of the Holy Ghost that tore the church up. It wasn't speaking of other tongues that tore the church up. It was salvation that tore the church up. So I guess, you know, that God's not the, the author of confusion, then God wasn't in that. No, like I said, truth received brings peace. Truth, truth rejected brings chaos. So anyway, we talked about that. We talked about last week uh, this idea that uh, tongues have passed away. Now, the, the reason people believe that tongues are not for today, there's, there's two, it's built on two uh, foundations. Number one is in the centuries right after the first century, very quickly speaking with other tongues began to diminish in the church. Now, some people say that it passed away completely, that, that tongues just completely 
uh, left. And nobody spoke with tongues after the first century. But that's not true. You know, uh, Tony Cook was here with us a few weeks back and, and uh, earlier in this year, you know, and, and was it last year, I guess? And, yeah, last year. And, uh, and he brought out from church history this thread of the miraculous, this thread of, of, of the spirit-filled life. There were people speaking in other tongues, laying hands on the sick, casting out devils, doing all the things that the apostles did. These things never really ceased. But to be fair they were very much diminished. In fact, the people that, that Tony Cook quoted, the, what they called the, the early church fathers of the second and third century and, on, and, and going forward, when they wrote about these phenomenon, they wrote about them in the sense that they were, uh, they were an anomaly. In other words, uh, anomaly. They were something that they were kind of, it was unusual. And so they reported, yes, there are brethren in such and such a church that still speak with tongues. So it was happening, but church uh, uh, traditionalists down through the years, they said, well, all of that passed away because it wasn't widely known. And, uh, and so to, to, uh, to give some uh, uh, credibility to it, they found the scripture over in 1 Corinthians 13, and it says in verse number 8, if there are tongues, they will cease. So they said, well, see right there, uh, tongues have ceased in the church. And because they have church history, and then they have one verse. But then that verse, and we looked at it, we looked at the entire passage, it said when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. We, we, we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when that, but that which is perfect has come, then, then we'll have the complete thing. Isn't that right? And so uh, they said, well, that which is perfect was the, was the writing or, or the, uh, the canon of the New Testament coming together. When the, when the New Testament was completed, that was that which was perfect. The problem with that is that's not mentioned in this chapter. That is not identified or even suggested as the identity of that which is perfect. They, people just made that up to fit their theology. It's not in the scripture. Others said, well, it was when the apostles passed away. Well, uh, that's not in that chapter either. It doesn't say that. It only says when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. Uh, that certainly the, the, the 12 apostles of the Lamb have passed away. Certainly the foundational apostles of the New Testament passed away. But there are still apostles today. The word apostles simply means a sent one. Missionaries, uh, if they go in the power of the Holy Ghost, very often they're operating as apostles. And so that gift is still in the church. That ministry is still in the church. So people have come up with all these things. But if you, and we don't have time to look at it this morning, but uh, if you weren't here, go back and listen to last uh, Sunday's message. It's on YouTube and it's on, on our uh, website and you can hear. We went through it and we found out that when that which is perfect has come is that time when we see face to face and we know even as we are also known. Well, that's talking about when we get to heaven, when Jesus comes. Then all of these spiritual gifts will pass away because there will be no need for them. So we talked about that last week. Amen? So today I want to... Uh, I also, yeah, uh, last Sunday, we, we, we pointed out again the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that is to receive power. 
God, God ordained that, that, that Christians today to be, to be baptized. He ordained they be baptized with the Holy Spirit for the purpose of receiving power to be a witness for Christ. Anybody can witness for Christ. Anyone who is saved can witness. But it's one thing to witness. It's another thing to be an, a powerful witness, a compelling, powerful witness for Christ. That's what you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit for. So we talked about that. We talked about the fact that our world is in a, is in a condition today where we need a powerful witness for Christ in the earth. Amen? So today I want to talk about and look at the dramatic difference the baptism with the Holy Spirit makes in a believer's life, the dramatic difference. We know this, that the new birth or salvation is, pay, is based upon two acts of faith. Romans 10 Verse 9 and 10 says, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, and, and uh, well, let's look at it. If you believe that God raised him from the dead and confess him as Lord is what it says. Romans chapter 10, and look at verse 9. He says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. This is the, the this pastor that I talked about, he believed up here in his brain. He had mental assent that Jesus had been raised from the dead, but he had never confessed Jesus as Lord of his life. And so there's one faith, but there's, there's you know, we, the Bible says by faith, by grace you were saved through faith. There's one faith, but there's two steps of faith. One is to believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. And the other one is to act on that. Because, you know, the Bible says even the demons believe and they tremble, but they're not saved. So we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, but then we act on that by taking him and making him Lord, confessing Jesus as Lord of our life. So those are the two things that are required for someone to be born again. Now we know this, turn over, you're in Romans there, turn over to the eighth chapter, go back to the eighth chapter. Verse number nine says, for you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed, now notice, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, so the Spirit of Christ and the Spirit of God are used uh, interchangeably there. They're the same, same Holy Spirit. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And then the 11th verse says, but if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through his spirit who dwells in you. So we can see in this that when, when a person is born again, the Holy Spirit dwells on the inside. In fact, go over to 1 Corinthians and look at the 6th chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 19, it says, For do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, notice, who is in you? whom you have received from God and you are not your own. So we see there then with these scriptures that every Christian, everyone that's been born again, the Holy Spirit lives on the inside. We call that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. There's no such thing as being born again and not having the Holy Spirit at that level. 
But you know, I mentioned this in other series. I won't talk too much about it today, but I illustrate it like this sometimes. In the house that we sold a couple years ago, we had a swimming pool in the backyard and it had a deep end and it had a shallow end. Well, the pool had a circulating pump, of course, and so the water in both ends of the, of the pool was the same. It was the same water anywhere you got in the pool, but there was a deeper end and a shallow end. And you can do things in the deep end that you can't do in the shallow end. There, it's the same water, there's just more of it. It's a greater depth. Well, when a person is born again, the Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside, okay? And that's, and that's the indwelling of the Spirit. So we've pointed them. We'll talk about uh, the, the greater measure as we go forward. So the Holy Spirit indwells every believer. Now, let's look at the 11 uh, disciples and see their born-again experience. And let's see what happened when they were born again and then what happened when they were filled with the Spirit. Turn with me to Mark's gospel and look at the 16th chapter. This, of course, is the account of the apostles or, or the disciples uh, after Jesus had been crucified and the women, you know, not going into all, all of the story, most of you know it, the women went to the tomb first. They found that Jesus had been raised again. Let's start in verse number nine. Verse number nine. Now, when he, when he rose early on the first day of the week, that's Jesus, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him. Now, notice, as they mourned and wept, so Jesus had been crucified. They saw him crucified. You remember Peter in fear denied that he ever, he'd spent three years with Jesus. He denied that he even knew. He said, I don't even know Jesus. And all of them were scattered. And so they were, they were broken. They were disheartened. They were discouraged. They were in despair, actually. And it says that she went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. Wow. After that, he appeared in another form, and we have the story of that over in Luke's gospel. He appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, including the 12 or 11 disciples. And they did not believe them either. And they founded the church. Later, later it says that uh, he appeared to the 11, because, you know, Judas Iscariot was gone, as they sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Go over with me then to Luke's gospel. That was, how, that was the condition that the disciples were in after Jesus had been crucified and even raised from the dead. And look at Luke 24, and we'll start in verse number. Luke 24. Now, this is talking about the two of them that, uh, uh, that it referred to in Mark's gospel, that he appeared to them in another form. We won't go into all of that. But these, uh, these two men, they rose up, that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together. 
Now, what condition were they in? They were weeping and mourning, the 11 were, and the others, presumably. And they said, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. And, but we know already from Mark's gospel that they didn't believe it. They completely rejected it. Now, as, as, as they, these two uh, believers said these things, uh, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said peace to them. But they were terrified and frightened. That is, the, the, the disciples and those who were with them were terrified and, and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? So they were in doubt. We already know they did not believe what they heard. He said, behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bone as you see I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they still did not believe for joy and marveled. In other words, they were just, it blew their minds. They didn't know what to do, but they weren't in faith. They still did not believe for joy. A person can be joyful and not be in faith. Well, praise the Lord, another message. And marveled. He said to them, do you have any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb and he took it and ate in their presence. And he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And here's that verse. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Now, let's go over to John's gospel and get a little bit more insight about what happened right then when he opened their understanding. Go to John's gospel and look at the 20th chapter. Verse 19 says, Then the first day, the same day rather, at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. Now this is another characteristic of them that shows that they were not born again. They were in mourning, they were weeping, they were unbelief in unbelief, and they were hiding for fear of the Jews. They didn't know but what the Jews were going to come for them next. So they're hiding out. Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. This is after he ate the fish and the honeycomb, okay? Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Now, uh, drop down. Well, Well, let's continue verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now, Thomas called the twin. One of the 12 was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. Now, let me ask you a question. Did they believe that Jesus had been raised from the dead? Now, you're not answering me. You're thinking, I don't know what to answer. Yes. Now they believe that that he had been raised and they're telling Thomas wasn't there when Jesus appeared. So they found Thomas and they said, we've seen the Lord. Well, they believe he's been raised from the dead. Amen. Amen. And they called him Lord. Huh? We have seen the Lord. 
So Thomas said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, you just hear the pride in his voice, don't you? And put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the, stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then, then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands. And reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Sounds like he believed that he had been raised from the dead, and he called him Lord, didn't he? My Lord and my God, Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So, so the disciples believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. They were first in unbelief. They were in doubt. They were in fear. They were in mourning and sorrow and weeping and crying and wailing and, and, and so forth. And, but when Jesus appeared, it took them a moment or two to, to accept it, but they finally realized that Jesus had been raised from the dead. They believed him and they, they believed on him and they called him Lord. According to the New Testament, they're born again. Now, there is a lot of, there, there is a strong belief in the church that the church began on the day of Pentecost, that that's when the church began. Well, if the church began on the day of Pentecost, then that's when people were first saved. And the reason they say that is that Jesus had said the Holy Spirit is coming and they say that when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, that was the inauguration of the church. He came and he created the church and people were born again. But that's not what happened on the day of Pentecost. You remember in in this 24th chapter here, excuse me, we're not in that chapter. Go back to Luke 24. Luke 24. Remember we looked at this scripture in verse 49, this is after they believed and confessed him with, as Lord. Behold, in verse 49, it says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But notice what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say, Tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you're saved. He didn't say, Tarry in the, in the city of Jerusalem until you're born again. That's not what he said. He said, Tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are, till you are endued with power from on high, which we've already pointed out looking at other scriptures that's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's what they were waiting for. They weren't waiting for the new birth. They already had the new birth. Amen. So, the, so many people that, that claim that uh, uh, simply misunderstand, I guess, how people are actually saved. The disciples met the criteria for being born again. And having been born again, they received the Holy Spirit. Go back to, to, to John 20. Getting your Bible exercise today. John 20. When he had said this, this to them, when he revealed himself to them, opened their understanding like we see in, in, the, in the Gospel of Luke. When he had said this to them, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. This was the Holy Spirit coming to dwell on the inside of them. This is when the Holy Spirit actually recreated their spirits. He opened their understanding, enlightened them so that they could see and understand the truth. And when they believed, he said, now receive the Holy Spirit. That's not the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's the indwelling spirit that came uh, with, to live with them that, within them, recreating their inward man. Amen? So that, that happened. Now, 
Can we see a change in their life as a result of being saved? Well, yes, we can. If you go, go back to Luke's gospel again, Luke 24, he, he, after the passage we read, he, there's the account of the Great Commission. In verse 50, he says, he led them out as far as Bethany. Now, now uh, 40 days passed during this time. He was with the, with the disciples and the others who believed on him for 40 days. And so there's a lot that, that's not in this passage. He led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now, it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple hiding out in fear of the Jews. No, they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. They were in the temple where the, where the authorities had just taken Jesus captive and, and, and brought him to Pilate and had him crucified. And instead of hiding out for fear of the Jews, instead of mourning and crying and weeping and doubting and refusing to believe and all of that, they are praising God, worshiping, and they're doing it right out loud, right in public and right in the devil's camp, if you want to put it that way. Right on, right on the territory of those that they were just days before afraid of. I would say that was a change. The new birth produces a change in a person's life. Now, I'm, now, what I'm about to say, don't misunderstand me, it doesn't make you a mature Christian overnight, but when a person is born again, if they're genuinely born again, there's going to be a change in their life. There's going to be a change in their outlook. There's going to be a change in their, in their uh, mannerism. They're going to, there's going to be a change in what they want to do, what they like to do. It doesn't mean the flesh has simply vanished out of their lives, but there's going to be a change in a person's life, and they're going to want to be around the people of God. Well, praise the Lord. It's another sermon. Won't go there. Hallelujah. So uh, we see them uh, with joy, praising and blessing God and not afraid. Go over to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Now in verse 9, it tells about the ascension into heaven. And the angel, you know, said, why are you gazing into heaven? The same Jesus who left is coming back. In verse 12, it says, then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, and, uh, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they ent- had entered, they went up into the upper room. This was evidently an upper room somehow connected with the temple because they were in, says they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. So they went up into some upper room there, evidently associated with on the temple ground somewhere. And uh, it says in verse 14, they all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Now this is another proof that they were born again because they were in one accord. I would say this was probably the first time they had ever been in one accord. When Jesus was with them, they were not in one accord. They bickered among themselves who was going to be the greatest. And, you know, when and, and, uh, uh, the parents, uh, John's parents, you know, John and James' mom came to Jesus and said, you know, when you uh, ascend into your kingdom, can my two sons sit one on your left hand and one on your right hand? The others found out about it and they were ticked off. Remember that? They were not in one accord. But here, after being born again, they spent their time for 10 days in prayer and supplication and in one accord. They were saved. 
That's proof, proof positive. You can't today, well, I won't even say that. Praise the Lord. Started to say you can't even get a congregation together today anywhere where everybody's in one accord. But I'm glad I didn't say that. I just thought it out loud. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But remember, Jesus said before he left, now they were born again when he said this. In, in Acts chapter 1, are we there? Go back to, to, to uh, verse 4. Being assembled together with him, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait not for salvation, but for the promise of the Spirit, which he said you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with, the, with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And uh, they said to him in verse 7, is, is, uh, or in verse 6, is it time for, for you to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them in verse 7, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So they were born again. He didn't say wait in Jerusalem until you get saved. They were already saved. He said, wait in Jerusalem, don't. He said he'd already given them the great commission to go into all the world. But then he finished that by saying, now, don't go just yet. Wait or tarry in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. So uh, he said that in verse number five here, you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Well, 10 days passed. And the day of Pentecost came, which was a feast day in Jerusalem. And it says in verse number one, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, these, these, uh, these saved people, these born-again people who had believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, confessed him as Lord, had evidence of salvation in their life uh, uh, through a changed life. It was clearly there had been a big change in their life. They were born again. They were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they were, then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Notice that uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit that he referred to in the first chapter in verse number five, here is called being filled with the Spirit. This happened subsequently to them being saved. In other words, it was two separate experiences. Now, it doesn't always have to be separated by time because we have the story, and we'll look at it next week, we have the story of Cornelius and, and his household. And while Peter preached to them, the Holy Spirit fell on them while, when they were hearing the gospel and they were saved and baptized with the Holy Ghost simultaneously. So it can happen at the same time, but it's still two distinct experiences because the record indicates that most of the time there's a, there's a, a lag time between when people are saved and when they're filled with the Spirit. doesn't have to be, but it usually happens that way. So they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So we can see that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, a, is an experience separate from the new birth. And Jesus said the reason for it is for you to have power. Now they they had they had the power of a changed life. Because they being born again, having believed on him finally, when they believed on him and were saved and born again, they had joy, 
They, they were at rest. They were bold. They, were not, they didn't care, you know, if, if the authorities came looking for them. So there was a change in their life. And that change in their life could have an effect and probably did have an effect on people around them because something had happened to them. So there is an element of power in a person's life just by virtue of the change in his life that he was, you know, it, that, that happened to many of you. I know it happened to me. When I got back in the fellowship with the Lord, you know, at 20 years old, people on the job, they couldn't believe it. I mean, it went everywhere. They called me Andy back then, you know, short for Anderson. They said, Andy's got religion. And, and some of them tested me. I mean, they, they really were just really obnoxious to me because they, they didn't believe it. But there was a change in my life that eventually people had to acknowledge something's happened to Andy. Well, something had happened to these disciples and, and there's a power in that. But Jesus said, you need more power. That wasn't the power he was talking about. He said, Terry, after being saved and having that level of power, tarry in Jerusalem until you are clothed upon with power from on high. Oh, glory to God. God intends, and I've said this before, God intends for us to be powerful witnesses for Jesus. And, and that goes beyond the, it's hard, I don't even like to say it this way, but in context, you know what I mean, but beyond just the ordinary power that's in your life as a result of being saved. Like I said, you will be effective to a degree being saved if people can read your life and, and, and knew you before particularly and they see the change, that will have an effect. But that wasn't the power Jesus was talking about. He said, you need power to be a powerful witness for me. Now, it's already noon, and so I'm going to stop here. I didn't get nearly as far as I, as I tried to, and I tried to go fast. <clears throat> but next week, we will look at the effect this baptism with the Holy Spirit had on these people who had already demonstrated a change. There was already a change in their life. We're going to see a, a far more dramatic change take place as a result of this. <clears throat> I'll give you a little primer. Talks about here in, in verse four, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke with other tongues. You say, well, why is this important? It's important because of what happened as a result of this. Talks about all the different people that were in Jerusalem for this, for this uh, feast of Pentecost. And uh, in verse number 11 says, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed or confused. Speaking in tongues brought confusion. Confusion. Saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. In other words, they were drunk. But notice this, this man, Peter, who had been contentious, who had been such a doubter, who had been afraid to, to, to even admit that he knew Jesus. Now, there had been a change in his life, but you're going to witness an even greater change. Peter, standing up with the 11, raised his voice and said to them, to all of these people, thousands of them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. 
And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. He said, what you're seeing with the speaking with other tongues and people acting drunk and all of that, he said, this is the outpouring of the spirit that was prophesied. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, Heed my words, hear my words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David said concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you, did, for you will not leave my soul in hell nor will you allow my Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, he said, let me speak to you freely of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of, his, of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, David, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ that his soul was not left in hell, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up of which we are witnesses. There was a, there was a power in Peter as he proclaimed the gospel. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, remember the promise of the Spirit that Jesus talked about? He has poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not descend, ascend into heaven, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit on my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. You're talking about preaching under the anointing. Oh, glory to God. This was a powerful message. It was beyond just, just the, the, the power that's in a person's life as a result of being saved. This was, this, was, this was an anointing of the Holy Ghost that came upon, upon him and it caused his words to have tremendous effect. Now, when they heard this, verse 37, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and all who are afar off as many as the Lord our God will call and with many other words he testified and exhorted them saying be safe from this perverse generation then those who gladly received his word were baptized and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. 
Glory to God. That's not any ordinary witnessing. That's Holy Ghost witnessing. Now, I'll, I'll get ahead of myself a little bit uh, from next, get into next week. We're going to look at what the apostles did. But we're also going to look at what some lay people did. You don't have to be an apostle. You don't have to be a, a preacher. You don't have to be in the five-fold ministry, full-time ministry. Whatever your calling in life is, you can have a, a dramatic effect. The supernatural can work through you just like it worked through these people. Now, granted, I, I will acknowledge that Peter was an apostle and he was ministering under an anointing maybe that you and I don't have, but there's an anointing for every one of us and it's power from on high. Glory to God. There's, there, you might not stand in a pulpit and preach, but you can share the gospel with people in, in such a way that they will be cut to the heart. You know, the, the people in Jerusalem had every reason to, to, to string these guys up. Well, they didn't string them up back then, I guess, or do whatever they did to them. They, they, had, they, had the, they, had the, the, they would have had the, the, the frame of mind to say, you people are crazy. All of this jabbering in different languages, it's confusing, and you're acting drunk, and you say Jesus was raised from the dead. We nailed him to the cross. We saw him dead. They could have grabbed the disciples and, and said, we're rejecting this. But it says it, they were cut to the heart. They were overcome. Another scripture when Stephen preached it said, they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which they spoke. That can happen to each one of us. That's the plan of God for all of us. Amen. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Well, let's stand. Thank you, Father. <laughs> Glory. This glorious gospel is to be delivered in glorious power. God intends for all of us to have power in our life. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.